Chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, we read that when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering of the Lord, uh, the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So, of course, as we saw clear back in chapter 2, that Solomon was determined to build the house of the Lord. This is the first temple that is built in Jerusalem. It's about 970 B.C. And this temple that Solomon has built is a magnificent uh, building. Uh, It's magnificent. Uh, His desire, of course, is his father David's desire, was to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Not to bring glory and honor to their own names, but we want to build this magnificent temple to be a testimony to Israel and to the nations around us that our God is a wonderful, incredible, awesome God. So it was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And even in the prayer of dedication that we saw that Solomon made, he spoke about the foreigner that would come there and seek God and, Lord, that you would hear that person. So it was to be a testimony, really, to the nations all around Israel uh, of the truthfulness of God and the goodness of God and the magnificence of God. And Solomon, of course, as he built this temple, he raised up a huge workforce, uh, 180,000-plus workers, that worked for seven years to build this temple that, as we looked at the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary was completely overlaid with gold. Even the floor was gold. And the cherubims, 15 feet high, and their wings would uh, span across the width of the room. And, and the Ark of the Covenant that was there. And uh, the uh, inner, outer sanctuary, the holy place, and, and the ten menorahs made of gold, and the shoebread tables that was ten in number, and in the altar of incense, and then in the outer court, the lavers, the, the bronze altar that was there for the sacrifices. So the temple was very, very magnificent. We know from the account in First Kings chapter 6 that they used costly stones and, and large stones that they would quarry there on top of Mount Moriah and bring those stones and fit them together there at the Temple Mount and creating this temple. And we have been making some application that the Lord is building a temple today, has been for the last 2,000 years, and that is you and I as believers, living stones being fitted together into this holy habitation. So Solomon, he was determined to build the temple. He did. Seven years uh, had passed. They completed the temple. And last week, as we saw in chapter 6 and read, that Solomon gave that prayer of dedication Dedication. And in chapter 7, we're going to see that um, here that the Lord's going to appear to Solomon a second time and begin to speak to Solomon concerning the temple and the future of the nation. But here Solomon, we see as he finished praying um, in his prayer of dedication, fire came down, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2 tells us, And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worship and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. So when Solomon finishes his prayer, fire comes from heaven consumes the sacrifices, and this was a visible proof of God's approval of the temple. And it's the second time, actually, that we've seen the glory of the Lord that filled the temple. The other time was just a few chapters previous, in chapter 5, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. So the glory filled the temple when they were praising him, that is, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant, there was this this um, this 
uh, huge, you know, um, praise uh, service that went on. And then now after Solomon prays to God. And God, uh, as we come, the, the glory of God will fill this place as we praise him, as we pray to him, as we seek to draw close to him. And so the visible, you know, presence of the Lord was, was being displayed at this time. Now, I want you to keep in mind as we continue through this chapter, uh, through verses 11, that this is the height, this is the, the, uh, the glory day of, of Israel during this time, when it's at its greatest power, its greatest you know, manifestation of God's glory being manifested to the nation, um, a great celebration that is happening. And part of it is because the Lord here has given his approval as the temple there, his um, presence is being visible in this, this fire that comes down from heaven. Now, wouldn't that be neat if, if we could see something like that? But I want to bring it home a little bit closer for you and for me because how is it that we can know that the presence of the Lord is with us in this living temple that he is building as he brings us together, living stones being fitted together? Well, Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples for what? Your love for one another. And I think that the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is going to fill this place as we are loving the Lord, praising Him, as we're expressing that love to Him in our devotion and prayers, as we're coming in praise and thanksgiving and love to Him. So in our praise to Him, loving Him and then loving one another. And that's where people are going to come and they're going to see the glory of the Lord somehow, in some way. And, and they're going to recognize the presence of the Lord in this house of God that we have here, loving one another as we are just uh, really caring for each other, as we're really loving one another with the love that Jesus Christ has put into our hearts. And so here, the glory of the Lord being manifested, we continue as we read in verse 4, Then the king and all the people offer sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep, so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. So we know that the, here the priests, um, they were ministering, um, the, the um, fire came down um, from heaven and um, consumed uh, the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. The burnt offering was a free will offering, as you know from Leviticus chapter 1. So these sacrifices, and these are huge numbers here, in this dedication of the temple. I mean, we're talking, as verse 5 says, that 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep, and this is going to help as they would give portion of it to the Lord, and a portion of it goes to the priests, and then a portion of it would be used in feeding the people in this, this huge feast that they're going to have for two weeks. But in this great number of sacrifices, some of them were burnt offerings, and scholars believe also that some of them, of course, would be uh, sacrifices made for atonement. And as you go through the book of Leviticus, you see that there was the sin sacrifice and the trespass sacrifice that a person would bring to the priest, and of course, they would lay their hands on that animal, and uh, that animal, as your sins, was transferred to that animal 
um, and then that animal ended up dying because of your sin. It was a picture of Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins once and for all. So all the sacrifices and all this, this huge number, I mean, it's such a large number, it's, it, it, you can't even hardly comprehend it. And um, all the sacrifices of the bulls and goats and sheep and doves that they did was not enough to completely take away our sins, as the book of Hebrews says. It just was a kofar, a covering, kofar in Hebrew, until Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and died for our sins once and for all. Matter of fact, what is interesting is we read a large number here in verse 5, um, that 120,000 sheep. It's interesting that during Passover, in the days of Jesus, that Josephus, the Jewish historian, he writes that they took a, a number, a count of how many sheep were sacrificed during the Passover. And one year they sacrificed 256,000 sheep. So that's a large, large number in these sacrifices. And that was not enough to take away your sin and my sin. You see, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven because Jesus Christ is the one that was qualified, the Son of God, who came and died for our sins, to take away our sins once and for all. And that's good news for you and for me. So it's wonderful, this new covenant that we live in. And again, the book of Hebrews was really trying to press the point of that's why Jesus is superior that he's the one that is the author of eternal life. He's the one that's made provision. He is the one that, that we look to, that has brought us into relationship with the Father, and now we can come into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we can come in with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's wonderful being on this side of the cross in the new covenant that we are a part of. So here was all these sacrifices being done. We continue in verse 6, and the priests attended to their services, the Levites also, with instruments of the music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. And whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite, while all Israel stood. In verse 7, Furthermore, Solomon uh, uh, consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because of the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat. And at that time Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the twenty-third day of the seventh month he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make uh, in the house of the Lord in his own house. So the people would have this great feast, and this great feast lasted 15 days, and then after 15 days, Solomon dismisses the people, and they went home. And they went home, notice here, with, uh, to their own tents, joyful and glad of heart, for the good that the Lord had done for David um, and what the Lord was doing in the nation and blessing the nation. So this is, man, this is the, the, a great, great time in the history of Israel. And I want you, again, to, 
just kind of remember this as we will now travel through Second Chronicles, and we're going to see that it's wonderful as people are, are uh, going home in and, and gladness of heart, every man sitting under you know, the fig tree, eating from his own vine. Things are really good. There's abundant blessing right now. And now we're going to see that things are going to go from good to pretty soon in just a few chapters where there's going to be division and there's going to be turmoil. And idol worship is going to come back into the land. And as we go through Second Chronicles, we're going to see difficulties going to come to Judah. We're going to see that God is going to bless those kings that followed after him. And he's going to keep his covenant with his people. He's going to bless them as they followed after him. But in those times, and there's going to be those kings that will come along that's going to bring just devastating spiritual decline to the nation because of idol worship. And it's going to begin with Solomon. Solomon's going to begin to turn his heart away from the Lord. And one of the things that I want you to take note of is in verse 11, that Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. He successfully accomplished, accomplished all that came into his heart to make his house and to make the temple. You see, what is in your heart will be worked out in your life. And I believe that Solomon, you know that as we're going to see as we move into the next chapter, that, um, or actually here in the next verses, that the Lord's going to appear to Solomon a second time. The first time that the Lord appeared to Solomon, as we saw in the beginning of Second Chronicles, is that the Lord asked Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon said that I am inexperienced, I'm young, I don't know my coming in, I don't know my going out. I need wisdom. And the Lord was pleased with that. And Solomon really had set his heart on the Lord. And he was determined, as we read in chapter 2, to build the house of the Lord. He was determined to do what was commissioned to him by his father David. That David said, Solomon, you're going to build the temple. That you are going to do this. I have the plans. I have the building materials. I got the priests and Levites all in order. But you're going to be the one that's going to build the temple. So he is determined to do that. And I believe that in the first 20 years here, as it was seven years to build uh, the temple and then 13 years to build his house, that Solomon really was close to the Lord. He was determined to do those things that was put on his heart. But then we're going to see now that his heart is going to begin to turn. And Second Chronicles doesn't go into great details about it but if you follow along those parallel passages and chapters of first king you see that solomon will then begin to pursue things for himself and he's going to get off track because his heart is going to begin to change listen it's very important and what i want to 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 say tonight as we make application is that we need to be like david that david said lord search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting that we need to constantly have a our hearts checked by the lord lord am i beginning to go after other things because it is true what is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life and solomon's heart is going to turn away from the lord and it's going to be given over to idols where he's going to burn incense to idols as we continue reading here, um, as Solomon will begin to marry foreign wives. He's going to accumulate gold for himself. He's going to accumulate horses for himself. All these things that the Word of God says that he was not to do. So we need to constantly, every day, say, Lord, check my heart, humble ourselves. And Lord, help me to be devoted, to stay close to you. Because there's a thousand things out there that will begin to pull our hearts away from the Lord if we're not careful. 
So Solomon, he accomplished all those things that was on his heart. As you have a heart for the Lord, you know, listen, there's a lot of, of books out there that you can go to the Christian bookstore and how to have a successful Christian life and how to have victory in your, you know, walk with the Lord, all these things which, are, you know, uh, are fine and great. But here's one principle. Have a heart for Jesus, okay? You have a heart for Jesus. You have a love for Jesus. And you're going to be walking with Jesus. You have a heart and a love for the Lord and for, you know, his ways and desiring to please him. That's going to be worked out in your life. And that's why Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans would come along and say that he could sum up the law in one word, and that is love. And as you have a love for God, it's going to show and what you do in your life and how you live your life and your service for him. So here's Solomon. He accomplished what was on his heart. We'll see and talk about it, uh, particularly when we get to, to um, chapter 9, uh, how Solomon's heart begins to turn away from the Lord. But first, verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I sh- shut up heaven and there is no rain or c- command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the Lord appears to Solomon for a second time. He tells Solomon, Solomon, I, I've heard you know, your prayers and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. God hears our prayers. Solomon, this is a special place and we've already seen that Solomon, as he prayed, and the Lord is, will say that my eyes are on this place. I will hear your prayers from this place. This is a special place. Of course, Jerusalem, as we've discussed, is God's chosen city. This was the place where sacrifices was to be made. So he's confirming that with Solomon. I've chosen this place for myself, the temple in Jerusalem. God has chosen it where he would be worshipped there at the temple and sacrifices could be made. But what's wonderful is, is that we can worship the Lord wherever we're at. You know, one of the great stories that I remember hearing uh, testimonies years ago was Jim Irwin. He was one of the astronauts that walked on the moon. And one of the things that really helped him to commit to the Lord and come to the Lord is when he was standing on the moon and he was looking at earth. And he was just so amazed by that. And he was given a testimony as hearing it. When I was just a, a young Christian, just, um, just been saved, and, and um, he was talking about how he looked at that, that blue planet out there in space, and he thought, God, you're real. You're real. And he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as he, he realized that there was a creator. And so... You know, even on the moon, <laughs> you know, God was touching him and, and stirring his heart. And the wonderful thing about us as Christians, again, is that we can pray in this place and wherever we're at. As we present our hearts to the Lord, he will hear and he sees us and he hears our prayers. And that's good news for us. Because maybe you're here tonight and you think, Lord, do you really hear me? When I'm praying at the, you know, workplace, at, you know, the lunch break or, um, you know, I'm in my car. Yeah, he does. He hears you and he sees you and he knows you. And our prayers are heard by him. And so here he's telling them your prayers are going to be heard. This is a chosen place that 
for myself. And, and then, of course, a very familiar verse here is we see that, well, first of all, in verse 13, he says, When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. In other words, when you sin, and of course we're going to see that as we travel through Second Chronicles, that they're going to begin to sin and turn away from the Lord. Now remember the covenant. He's going to reiterate that to them as we go through this chapter, that if you follow after me, you're going to be blessed, just as you're blessed right now. The nation's going through tremendous blessing because they were sacrificing to the Lord. They were praising the Lord. They were praying to the Lord. Their hearts were towards the Lord, but then their hearts is going to leave and this difficulty is going to come. There's going to be locust infestation. There's going to be famine that's going to come to them because the Lord wants them to turn back to him. And eventually, when we get to the end of Second Chronicles, we will see that they will go into captivity by the Babylonians and also Solomon's temple is going to be destroyed. So here the Lord is given this warning, reiterating the covenant given to them. And when you sin, verse 14, again a familiar verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now oftentimes we will hear this verse being quoted when um, we have a you know, national day of prayer or when we're praying for our nation. And I think it's a very appropriate verse to be using and to um, make application, of course, for our nation. But as we look at it in the context, of course, the Lord begins by saying, if my people are called by my name, So he's speaking to the nation of Israel here. When you sin and turn against me, that my people who are called by my name, if you humble yourself, um, and uh, as you humble yourself, uh, turning to me, um, then pray and and then seek my face, um, then I will hear you and I will heal this land. I'll bring you back into the land is what the Lord is going to say. I'll bring you back from captivity, which would happen. So here the Lord has given a promise to them. But we can make application for ourselves personally. We can make application for our families. And we can make application for this church corporately. And we can make application also for the church at large. I think that, um, that as we look at this, and I think that we do pray for revival, don't we? We pray for our nation. Because we see our nation that is in such decline spiritually and morally. We see that more and more as a nation, we are embracing that which is dark and evil um, you know, at such a rapid pace. And it's unbelievable. But I really believe that as Christians, that as we look at this, that um, we want revival, but it's going to begin with us. It's going to begin with us as believers as we're seeking the Lord. And as we are saying, Lord, we want to be right with you. You know, judgment begins in the house of God. And the church at large, and, and hear my heart on this because I'm not, you know, the church is so terrible and all of this, you know, and so many terrible, terrible Christians. I know that there is people that are praying for a nation, that are seeking the Lord, but the church at large in our, in our society and in our nation, it's kind of turned to where, um, you know what, we're more consumer-oriented um, more of a um, seeker-friendly, more and more you see that there's a kind of a drifting away from uh, really being dedicated to knowing the Word of God and things like that. And what my prayer is, is that the church would really seek the Lord and turn and, and really be in prayer. 
And that includes us. That we would be praying for our nation. That we'd be praying for our neighbors. We'd be praying for Greeley, for Weld County. That there are so many people that are in darkness. And that our hearts would be revived and this church would be revived. And I've said this many times that what my prayer is for us, I think the greatest danger for Calvary Chapel is if we just become complacent. We become complacent and, you know, we um, are comfortable and we want to be committed. We want to be seeking the Lord and to be presenting our hearts to the Lord, as I said. And as we do, Lord, is there anything in my life? Is there anything in my family's life? Is there anything in this church, Lord, that we're doing that isn't pleasing to you? So it starts with us. So we are to humble ourselves. We are to pray. We are to seek his face and then turn four things. Four things. And then he will bring forgiveness and he'll bring healing. And as we pray for our nation, what our nation needs to do is there's true revival that comes. There will be a humbling. There will be a humbling with our nation that says that we need you, God. You have blessed us. And as a nation, that's what I pray, that, that we as a nation would humble ourselves and that we would turn from our wicked ways and we would seek the Lord and we would pray to the Lord. And as a nation, if we do that, God will hear us and certainly forgive us and bring healing to our land. We need to pray for America because we are not headed in a good direction. And we need to pray for our leaders and we need to pray for you know, our community. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our schools. And that's what I hope that we would be dedicated to doing that. And Lord, you search my own heart. And Lord, if there's anything that isn't right in my heart, if there's anything that isn't right with my family, if there isn't anything that is right in this church, Lord, we need to do the same thing as well. So a wonderful promise that is given here um, as the Lord is speaking to Solomon. And my eyes will be open, verse 15, my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, and my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And so here we see that um, the Lord is, again, just um, that this temple is a very special place, and he will hear the prayers that are offered in this place. And I really believe that this is a special place here, this place, Calvary Chapel. And I believe that God's eyes and hearts are on this place as we gather here. And I believe he's very pleased as we gather here to study his word, to give praise with thanksgiving, to encourage one another as we're loving one another. He sees that and he hears that and he's blessed by that. Verse 17, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and, and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I've set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I've given them. And this house, which I gave, uh, I have sanctified for my na- name, I will cast out of my sight, and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to the land, to this land and to this house? 
In verse 22, And they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and embraced their gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this calamity on them. So the covenant that God made with them is reiterated, and now we're going to see that eventually they will be uprooted. Here's the thing. God's word will be established. He said, You follow after me, I'm going to bless you. They're experiencing great blessing. But he also said, If you forsake me, then I'm going to uproot you, and you're going to be you know, um, a a, a proverb and a byword by the other nations. God's word is true. Now, we love to circle and underline those wonderful promises that are in the scripture, but also the warnings that are given to us. We need to take heed to those things as well. And we need to remember that whatever we, you know, sow is going, you know, is going to be a harvest that's going to come up. You're going to reap what it is that you sow. That's a spiritual principle that is true for all of us and God's word will not fail when he tells us and warns us to stay away from sin because you're going to get hurt there's going to be consequences it's going to be devastating to you as we see those warnings that are given to us we need to take heed to those warnings because God's word will be established the good things and also the warnings the bad things if you would that are told to us And it's a loving father that is honest enough with us to say, sin, stay away from it, and you need to walk in my ways. My ways are good, and I will bless you. And one of the things we're going to see very clearly as we go through 2 Chronicles is the kings, and when the nations followed after, you know, the Lord, then they were blessed. When they forsook the Lord, you know what? It was bad news for them. And it's the same with you and me. If we're walking in the ways of the Lord and we are following after him, we're going to see blessing in our lives. We're going to see that um, blessing will come to our hearts. But if we are ones that we are going after the things and the pleasures of the world, there's going to be serious repercussions and consequences as a result of that. So God's word will be established. So always take heed also to the warnings that are given to us in the scriptures about, you know, going another direction or forsaking the word of the Lord or, you know, going your own direction, whatever it might be. In chapter 8, very quickly, and it came to pass at the end of 20 years that Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, that the cities with Hiram had given to Solomon. Solomon built them and settled the children of Israel there. And Solomon went to Hamath, and Zobah and seized it. And he also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he had built in Hamath. He built the upper Beth Horon and the lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walled gates and bars. Also Baal, Ath, and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the chariot cities and the cities of the Calvary, and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. And all the people who are left of the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, who are not of Israel, that their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel did not destroy, from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. So it took, again, 13 years for Solomon to complete the temple and his house. And Solomon would then continue with his building projects throughout the nation. And he built these cities, uh, built storage cities and chariots and cavalry cities and fortified cities. I want you to take notice in verse 2 that Hiram had given to Solomon these cities. Uh, I think what is best being told to us is you might recall if you make a cross-reference in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 10 through 14, it tells us that after Hiram had done the work for Solomon for the temple, remember Hiram who was the king up in Lebanon? He provided workers and craftsmen to come and help build the temple in cedar logs. 
Well, Solomon, what he did is gave him 20 cities up there in that area that they ruled over and um, in the Galilee region. I don't know if that was right for Solomon to do that, but he did give him 20 cities. Harm looked at those 20 cities and said, what are these cities? I don't like these cities. So he gave them back, according to verse 2, to Solomon. And Solomon began to fortify these cities um, that were given back to him. And then we see that um, the labor force, again, that came from the other nations and these building projects that were being used. And then we know that verse 10, and others were chiefs of the officers, uh, officials, that is, of King Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people. Verse 11, Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places to which uh, the ark of the Lord had come are holy. Interesting, isn't it? Now, most of us know that Solomon marries the daughter of Pharaoh. He doesn't marry her for spiritual reasons. He marries her for political reasons. And in this time, if you are a powerful king, then one of the ways that you made alliances with other kings and and leaders is that you would intermarry with their daughters or something, and that was kind of like a peace treaty. So the, the Pharaoh says, here, marry my daughter, Solomon. And he says, okay. And, of course, we know that Solomon, Second Chronicles doesn't record it, but Solomon's going to be one that has a thousand wives and concubines. We also know that Solomon is going to marry many foreign wives that are going to uh, be in Israel. And here it's interesting because he marries his uh, daughter of Pharaoh. Now, we do know that the word of God said to them when they came into the promised land not to marry foreign wives. Why? Because they're going to draw you away, your heart away from the Lord. They're going to be a a, a thorn to your side. They're going to be a problem. And here, I think that Solomon, as he does this, he's a little bit convicted. She's not going to live because here is Pharaoh's daughter, that is one that comes from a place where they worship idols. So she's not going to live here in the house of David. This is where the Ark of the Covenant is. This is a holy place. So I'll build another place for her. So he still has conviction, even though he's disobeying the Lord and marrying her. Because the Word of God has authority, the final authority in our lives. And here Solomon was one who was supposed to be full of wisdom, but yet he is disregarding the Word of God. Matter of fact, he does it in some other areas, doesn't he? In multiplying gold for himself and horses, which Deuteronomy chapter 17 says he was not to do. He was not to multiply wives, and he was not to be marrying foreign wives. And we see here that Pharaoh's daughter is the first of it, and this conviction is here, but then that conviction is going to leave because we will see and we'll make reference to it that Solomon, he will have many foreign wives that will draw his heart away from the Lord, and he's going to be burning incense to them. He's going to be making altars to those Uh, false gods. He's going to introduce idol worship back into the land once again. He is even going to be building temples to those false gods. He's going to burn incense to Moloch where they actually sacrifice their children on the arms of Moloch. That's how far away that Solomon gets from the Lord. And you see, here is something that we need to be careful of in our lives. Solomon's saying, "Mm, at this time, a little bit of compromise. I'll marry, you know, Pharaoh, your daughter, and I'll just build a palace, a house for her somewhere else, 
away from, you know, the city of David. Because, you know, the ark is there, the temple's there, it's a holy place. He still has a little bit of conviction, but pretty soon that conviction is going to be going away. You see, that's what happens. We can compromise just in a little area in our lives. Just a little compromise, Lord, and we're a little bit convicted. And, but yet, that compromise is there. And then over time, if you're not careful, that conviction begins to go away. And you find yourself in full-blown sin and disobedience. And in a bad place where your heart is turning away from the Lord. We get a picture of what Solomon did here in that. A little conviction, nah, still going to compromise. Listen, tonight as we close, if there is any compromise in your life at all, oh, there's conviction, the Lord's been dealing with you, that know this, that as we humble ourselves, as we seek him and call upon him, he's going to hear you. And he's going to bring that forgiveness that he brings to us and that healing. And whatever reason that you might be, you might be thinking, well, this will be a, a good alliance, you know, if I do this. I know it's compromised. The scripture says I'm not to be unequally yoked, you know, with unbelievers, but, you know, I want to keep in my relationship with my, this unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, I'm going to yoke myself in this business venture, whatever it might mean, whatever compromise it is, I'm just going to go to the old hangout for a little bit, you know, once in a great while. I'm going to watch this, this show or this video or pull up things on my computer just once in a while, you know, just you got conviction, but you're compromising. As you humble yourself, and call upon the Lord and seek Him and turn from your ways. You're going to see that the Lord's going to minister to you, bring healing to your heart and to your soul, and enable you to stay away from those things and know that there is blessing. There's not blessing in compromise, all right? There's blessing in commitment and trusting in the Lord and resting in His love. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word that is given to us and the encouragement. And thank you that we're here tonight to hear it. And Lord, what my prayer is that we would always remember that as we're committed to you and follow after you, that, oh Lord, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And so, Lord, I pray that, I pray for us First of all, that any of us that are here tonight, that maybe there's been compromise. You've been dealing with this, and there's been that conviction. Always remember the conviction is to draw you to the Lord, not to push you away, but to draw you to the Lord. Know that His mercy endures forever. That's what they were praising the Lord about when they dedicated the temple. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. And his word is true for us that as we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and, and turn from that which is causing you to compromise, causing you to sin, causing you to, to go in a direction which you know is not pleasing to the Lord. Will you give it to the Lord right now? It takes a humble heart to say, Lord, I'm wrong. And just give it to him. The Lord loves you. 
and he wants to bless you and he wants to bring healing, maybe you know it's going to be difficult if there's a relationship involved or maybe you need to swallow your pride and forgive somebody that you know the Lord's been telling you to or maybe it'll cost you materially, monetarily because there's been compromise in your business or in the workplace. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just it'll cost you friends, old friends that want you to to go to a place and be involved in activities that you know is not good. Know that the Lord wants to minister to you, that we can rest in His love, that He wants you to walk in His good ways and for you to experience that abundant life that He has for you. And Father, I pray as a church here that we would be ones that, Lord, that we would please you and honor your name that we would stand for truth, that we would be humbled before you, that we would not try to exalt the name, not try to exalt anything. But Lord, the only thing, the only one that we exalt is you. To be a light to others. To know that your presence is here in this place because we're loving one another. and People know that we belong to you. Somehow sense your glory and your goodness and your grace because the reality of Jesus Christ is being displayed in our hearts and in our actions and in our words. Lord, we do pray for our nation. Our nation is spiritually sick and it needs healing. We pray for our president. We pray for our congress. Pray for our leaders. Somehow there'd be repentance and a turning to you and a recognizing that you have blessed this nation.